With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall and this is your Premier League preview show. All the weekend's games put under the microscope and we ask whether anyone can keep pace with Crystal Palace, Leicester City and Everton. The top four looking a little bit weird at the moment, but surely things will start to change soon. Manchester United looking for their first win of the season in the league. Chelsea looking to bounce back after defeat to Liverpool last time out. And Southampton, well, they're looking for absolutely anything right now, aren't they? Joining me on today's show, we have presenter and Man City fan Nat Pavlek. Hi, Nat. Hello, love. And we've also got comedian, writer and Manchester United supporter, Alex Boardman. How are you doing, Alex? Yeah, good, thanks. Okay, let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it. That's what the people are here to do. They're here to listen to us preview the weekend's Premier League action. Um, And I'll tell you what, why not start down on the South Coast at the Amex with Brighton against Manchester United? That's the first kickoff of the weekend. Starts at 12.30 on Saturday. Now, if you look at the form book, and it's hard to look at the form book when we're just two games into the Premier League season, United have actually been pretty strong away from home. They've not lost since January in the Premier League on the road. Um, And by contrast, Brighton have been quite poor at home with just one win in the last 10 home games. I suppose, records aside, Alex, as a Man United fan, you're just desperate to get those first points on the board for the new season. Yeah, yeah. What is a little worrying is towards the end of the very strange add-on last season, sort of the last three, four Mm. games when they went in the Europa semi-final, um, United just seemed to, it was like they had nothing left in the tank and all the players, well, mainly Fernandez, who was the catalyst for everything good that was happening, but Rashford as well, Pogba looked a bit out of sorts. And you were, as a Man United fan, I was kind of hoping that when they came back, they just needed a bit of a break. Uh, but last week against Crystal Palace, they just looked, they looked not ready. They looked really, really tired. Um, and then on the other side of that, uh, Brighton have looked really lively in those first two games, even though they won one and lost one. Um, they've been created. They seem to like. They seem like quite a good attacking side, and one place where United mm-hmm. are vulnerable is at the back. So 
it's anything but um, a, a guaranteed United win. I could, I can see any score and I could see anybody winning, to be honest. Last week, Alex, when we looked at the United versus Crystal Palace game, there are a few concerns about whether United have strengthened enough. They've brought in Donny van der Beek. Looks like he could get his full debut this weekend against Brighton. Mm. Are you concerned as well, equally concerned as some of the other fans, that the strengthening's just not been quite up to standard? <sighs> Yes and no, um, because if it it feels like I think Solskjaer's made no bones about the fact he was going after Sancho, um, so that that seemed like the number one target, and they've not as yet not been able to sign him. Um, with the sort of defense, they got they got Twanzebi back last season, and he was injured for a lot of last season, but he is a really Really good centre half. He's young. He's really strong. He's he's good on the ball. Uh, and then Wamba Saka will be back as well, right back. And again in the reserves, there's a there's a lad called Laird, who's like a bit like Brandon Williams on the mm. left hand side. Um, he's a perfect understudy, really. So hopefully we'll see him a little bit more. And Fossey Mendes played, but actually was one of the two or three players that played well against Palace. So. If there is an overall sort of plan and it is to bring the youth players through and stuff, I'm not so bothered with the defence, even though... I know also, I think when De Gea gets eventually replaced by Henderson, which I think is coming at some point this season, I think that'll help as well because he's a lot more commanding in the box, which will take a bit of the pressure off. We always, United always look like they're going to concede with any sort of set piece, anything in the air, even, even though they've got Maguire, because De Gea is so rude to his line so the defence isn't the thing that worries me really it's the I don't think we have enough forward options uh, well, and if Mason Greenwood's not in and you put Daniel James in the, the, it's not he's not quite good enough I don't think as yet maybe he'll get better but uh, mm. it's just a, it's a bit worrying when you see Chelsea have really strengthened Liverpool have strengthened City have strengthened and even you know Arsenal and Tottenham will possibly finish above United if, if we don't get other players in because the, mm. that team will just tire as they did at the end of last season. Mm, yeah, it's a good point. And I know you're a blue gnat, but I wanted to ask you about this because a few seasons ago when Pep first came in at Manchester City, the first thing he decided to address was the goalkeeping situation. He got rid of a stalwart in Joe Hart, brought in Bravo, that didn't work, and then he brought in Edison. Now, Manchester United have got two or even three good goalkeepers to pick from in De Gea, Dean Henderson, of course, who was excellent last season on loan at Sheffield United, and Sergio Romero. So do you think it will be too long before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of bows under the pressure and decides to put Dean Henderson in for his first Premier League start for United? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, the most interesting thing about United right now is this goalkeeper battle, which probably says a lot about where they are right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, De Gea's obviously had some really obvious errors last season. And Dean Henderson, in the meantime, was, you know, playing incredible in that Sheffield United team. I mean, his some of his stats last year were insane, you know, like the amount of clean sheets that he kept. And I mean, Sheffield United, was it like 33 goals, I want to say, mm. they conceded last year? Obviously, he's come back now with his six-year contract contract that they've given him mm. so he's decided not to go back to Sheffield United or anywhere else so he must fancy himself for it as well um but then again you know there's been I have seen a lot of mm. these ex-United players coming out in the press this week was it Andy Cole that came out and defend Andrew Cole sorry sorry and 
Sorry, Andy. Um, <laughs> got to get it right. Make sure you get yeah, it right. got to get it right. Sorry, Andy. Um, got, to, got to stick by De Gea for a while. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of England as well, you've got to be hoping that Henderson breaks through if you're an England fan. I mean, I'm Scottish, so I don't really care. But you, as an England fan, you've got to help that, hope that Henderson comes through because obviously it's between him and Pope who's going to be, you know, England's starting goalkeeper for the Euros next year but yeah I definitely think it's the most interesting thing about United last you know just now who at Palace last week were absolutely and utterly woeful which is you know really joyful for me to watch (laughs) but you know it has got it has got to be really concerning for for the United fans and it's, it's really interesting, you know, this this game this weekend. You know, you've got Brighton who had that brilliant win against Newcastle last week. They also put up a really good fight in the game against Chelsea as well. Mm. They, they've had loads of, you know, created loads of chances. They really look like they've progressed over mm. the summer. Can you say that? Um, so it's going to, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, Alex, I have no idea what the score is going to be this weekend. You wouldn't be surprised whoever won. No, I wouldn't be either, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think you're right as well about Brighton. They have looked promising so far. And as Alex mentioned, one win, one loss. And it does feel that they're a slightly more difficult proposition this season than they have been in previous years, albeit on the two or three games that we've seen of them so far. I'll be honest, the two cup games that they've played in the Carabao, they've looked very, very bright. And they have been against lower league opposition, in all fairness. But certainly, you can only beat what's been put in front of you. And even their reserves, when they've played um, their sort of fringe players in those games, have looked really, really bright. So, Brighton versus Manchester United, half 12 kickoff on Saturday. And I thought it was interesting, actually, Nat, that you mentioned about the Euros and the England starting goalkeeper you said Pope and Henderson you didn't even mention Jordan Pickford and that brings us nicely onto the three o'clock Saturday kickoff which is Crystal Palace who are up there in the top four or five at the moment in the Premier League and they take on Everton they're two sides who have yet to lose so far six points from six for both of those teams and talking of Pickford then Nat he made mistakes in the Carabao Cup midweek against Fleetwood he made a couple of dodgy errors even though Everton won 5-2 how long before Ancelotti loses patience with Pickford because we know how good he is with the ball at his feet he's one of the best distributors in the Premier League probably along with Edison but I mean how long do you leave it if your goalkeeper's unreliable I mean it's a risk you can't take in the Premier League these days yeah especially when Everton are looking really good you know on the rest of the pitch as well um you know people are rightly talking about them now you know it's, it's certainly challenging for a European place you know it might be too early in the season to say that but given you know some of the some of the signings that they've made as well um and you know and as a goalkeeper you know part of that you know it's got it's got to be psychological I guess you've got to be really strong psychologically to just mm. it, sort of ignore all of that I mean if you leave what you read in the press Ancelotti has been looking to replace him since since he came um so so I don't know who knows I guess is is money an issue for Everton now you know <laughs> how, how much how much have they got to spend um, and also you know you've got you've got the transfer window a week left on it now mm. so you know there's not a lot of time to to bring somebody in but I, I would be very I wouldn't be surprised if they did yeah I mean that's come around so quick the end of the transfer window being just a week mm. away we've said it on the podcast throughout the week that oh you know 5th of October feels miles away and now here we are at the end of September and teams might be scrambling to get some last minute signings through the door uh, I'm speaking of the two teams in action Palace and Everton both sides have won their games and actually won them quite convincingly, their opening two games. I mean, who, who's been the more impressive for you, though, Alex? Because, I mean, Nat mentioned Everton's signings like James Rodriguez, but I guess you kind of expected a little bit more from them because of the manager and because of the signings. Whereas Crystal Palace, you didn't really expect them to get off to such a strong start. No, no, you didn't expect them to get off to such a strong start. But to answer the question, I'd still say the Everton... Uh, Everton, to me, looks slightly more impressive, purely because 
they're playing some really nice football and Calvert-Lewin up front is a player I've kind of always liked anyway. I said it last week when I was on, um, just before he scored the hat-trick. I was like, I, there's something about him. I think it's his attitude. And I think he's a real pure centre-forward. Uh, so I love him. I also love the way. I didn't honestly think uh, James Rodriguez would be this good because when he burst on the scene, he looked like he was going to be an absolute world beater. So about five or six years ago, six years ago at the World Cup. And then he never, he, he just was one of those players who seemed to flatter to deceive a little bit. Um but I just didn't realise how great he is on the ball. He's a beautiful mm. player to watch. He's all left foot, um, which, you know, I don't mind that because um, it's such a great – he's just he's just so brilliant with it. And I think Everton just, just look really good going forward. I agree with Nat about Pickford being a problem. I also think Mina is a little bit of a problem. Uh, and they made – between them, those two made a couple of mistakes against West Brom when the game was in the balance and it could have finished either way that game. Uh, but then they did progress and they, they won it quite comfortably in the end. As for Palace, I think Zaha is playing out absolutely wonderfully. He's, he's just playing out of his skin. He Every time he gets the ball, wherever he gets it on the pitch, you just think he's going to run 40, 50 yards and something will happen. Uh, and against United, they didn't. United were poor and the, the players like Fernandez and Pogba made unforced errors anyway, but even when they got into sort of the final third of the pitch, the, the sort of two Palace um, central midfielders uh, who both have the same name, and I always get it wrong, is it McCarthy and McLean or I, I can't remember, um, but they just <laughs> stopped everything. I couldn't even tell you. No, they were so good. Uh, and then they, they were just a real good force on the on the sort of counter-attack Palace. So it's set up to be, <laughs> bizarrely, that is looking to me like the, the game on match of the day that they will probably put on first. Because it'll be the outstanding game of the weekend, of the, of the Saturday anyway, I think. Game of the weekend, Crystal Palace versus Everton. If 2020 wasn't weird enough as it is, Alex Borman is tipping for this fixture <laughs> to be top billing on match of the day. Love it. Um, I think it will. I think it'll be a 3-3. Oh, there we go. Big statement. Six goals between Crystal Palace and Everton. Well, at least it'll be entertaining <laughs> to say the least. I don't know if Roy Hodgson will be able to keep himself in check. The uh, oldest manager in the Premier League now is our Roy. Do you think he gets enough credit? though Alex to be fair because the job he's done at Crystal Palace with an aging squad last season and you know the way that he's managed to actually keep them up when a lot of people were tipping them to go down I think sometimes he probably is a little bit underrated actually no I think he's totally underrated I think part of it is because of this sort of cult of the younger slightly cooler manager um of which there's, there's several uh and also for the fact um that with him being English and old, he seemed to be from sort of yesteryear. But Palace are playing some absolutely great stuff. Absolutely wonderful. I don't think his time at Liverpool helped him because uh, he got a lot of stick for that. And it's likewise with the England team. But, I mean, he's, do he's done such a great job. Palace are playing so well uh, and well done. Why? Well done to you. <laughs> at least he's not playing. Uh, at least he's not England manager now, because no. the way he said world rankings um, <laughs> was always slightly concerning. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Everton take on Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. That's a three o'clock kickoff on mm -hmm. Saturday. We're off for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but we'll be back after this preview in the rest of the weekend's action. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official.
Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily and your Premier League preview for the weekend. With me, Niall, I've got Nat Pavlek and Alex Boardman alongside me to chat about the weekend's fixtures. And now let's take a trip to one of the newly promoted sides in the Premier League this season. Although the classic yo-yo team, I don't think they'll ever shake that reputation, even if they won the Champions League. Uh, that's West Bromwich Albion and they take on Chelsea. That's 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. Now, the big story for me in this game is not actually the scoreline, Nat. It's the fact that Branislav Ivanovic is going to come back to the Premier League with West Brom and his first game's going to be against Chelsea. Um, they're going to need his experience, I think, uh, to be honest, because it feels like even after three games, if they lose to Chelsea, they could already be in a relegation scrap. Maybe that's me getting a little bit carried away, but I don't know what you think. Oh, yeah, I think you are getting a bit carried away there. You know, I think to, to be fair to West Brom, their season is not going to be judged on results against Chelsea. Similarly, they're on almost unlucky that they've played Leicester and Everton so far. You know, two sides that are looking really solid that will be challenging for European places. So West Brom's season will not be judged on those games. I don't think we can start really thinking about, you know, realistically how West Brom are going to do this year until we see them playing you know the likes of Fulham or Aston Villa and apologies to the to those teams but you know the teams that are, that are going to be fighting down there I think that's the point where you know where we'll, we'll truly be able to sort of judge West Brom and, and how they might do this season. Okay, well, okay. So if I had asked you for a prediction before the season, who would have been in your bottom three? I mean, West Brom. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, that's quite funny. That's quite funny. Um, they're going to have to deal with Kai Havertz, though, Nat. And I know that you're kind of being Manchester City fan, used to seeing some of the top talent around Europe and City often being linked with the top talent around Europe. Um, he scored a hat-trick midweek, and that's going to really boost his confidence. I wanted to ask you this because... Often we see it now in the Premier League where signings come in for big money and they're not given a fair crack of the whip to be able to prove themselves in a different environment, a different culture and a different league in the Premier League. So how long do you think is fair game to give these big money signings these days before they should be making an impact. Obviously, it, it's really nice when, when they make an impact so so quickly, you know, in getting a hat-trick, even if it is against, you know, lower league Barnsley, and I mean, no offence to Barnsley there, um, you know, that's it, it, great for the confidence. I personally am one that is happy to be a little bit more patient. I do think, you know, especially when you're bringing in young players from around Europe, you know, for, for you know, City have signed Fran Torres, for example, and, I, and I've seen him one star and he's getting stick on Twitter already. Like, I'm not into that. I'm much more, think we need to be patient. We need to give them a chance to to settle into the league, to, to settle into the, you know, the new team, the new squad. And especially just now when you've got so many players from all the clubs that are, you know, injured, that are not playing because they've tested positive for COVID, um, you know, it's it's a really weird time. So I think we really do need to be calling for patience in the signings. But, um, you know, I know that's that is generally not what you see on Twitter after a game. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, the football Twitter landscape can always be a little bit um, more brutal than, than the kind of rational thinker. No offence to those of us who are on <laughs> Twitter and talk about football, but I do think sometimes things can get carried away a little bit. Um, Havertz isn't the only new signing. Chelsea have made loads of them, Alex. Obviously, £200 million yeah. pounds spent. Looks like the new goalkeeper that's come in, Edouard Mendy, might get a start. Um, that probably comes as less of a surprise than the fact that Chilwell and Silva are both fit again. So let's just say Frank Lampard has got the full arsenal at his disposal. Do you think he will <laughs> go for it and, and, and give these players a start against West Brom? Um, I don't know. I, d I don't think he will. I think he'll bring them on um, on about 65 minutes. That... 
Uh, I, I don't know exactly who's fit and who isn't, but Chelsea have not been playing so badly. Uh, the Liverpool defeat, I think, was uh, in, in large parts down to the goalkeeper because they were, you know, they were one 0 behind. Liverpool were playing well, but with regards to, to Chelsea, they've been burned before not giving a player enough time because they had De Bruyne. So I think that's one of the things that they'll be like. Look, we've got to be a bit more patient than we used to be because we could have, we had him for next to nothing. We could still have him. Um, and I think Zaha's another example at Man United. You look away, we could have had him there for four or five years and he's, he's just a great player. So I think we do need to be a bit more patient. Um, somebody who I wouldn't be patient with, though, is, is that Kepa, the goalkeeper, because I, I, he seems someone a bit like De Gea who made mistake after mistake after mistake and the fact that I, I don't think Lampard fancies him either because you can't spend that amount of money uh, and not play the players you, so I, I think I think maybe some of them some of them will come on but I don't see the one I'm really excited about is he called Zayek mm, Ziyech yeah he's uh he's hurt his knee quite badly yeah I but I, I think him and Werner up front will be fantastic and Werner's someone who's not quite hit the ground running yet he's Looks a little to me like he's trying almost too hard. Like he's just, I've got to score, I've got to do everything right. And he, he just not seems to be rela- relaxing enough front of goal. But I think he'll go because he's a fantastic player as well. So I think I think Chelsea will be very dangerous this season. And I can see them, well, they'll definitely be top three, I think. Uh, it's if they can break into sort of City and Liverpool. And I'm not sure from what I've seen yet uh, if it's quite, if they're quite there yet. Tough test for West Bromwich Albion then at the Hawthorns against Chelsea this Saturday. That's a 5.30 kickoff. And I'm glad when you mentioned uh, Wilfred Zaha at Manchester United, you didn't do what Patrice Evra did the other week on the TV. That was one hell of a PR mess, which we won't be getting into on Football Social Daily. Uh, Talking of being in a mess, what about Southampton? Now, any opportunity for me as a Pompey fan to twist a knife, I will absolutely do so. Pointless and uh, struggling at the moment, to say the least. Pointless in more than one way, I would argue, but there we go. It's an eight o'clock kickoff on Saturday where they travel to Turf Moor to take on Burnley. Two sides yet to win in the Premier League so far this season. I think I, I think I guess the, the the reason Southampton have been poor so far now is well, Ralph Hasenhurst was saying the fact that the players aren't fit, but I don't think that's a fair excuse considering everyone's had the same length of pre-season. But it was last season's form, the form they had in Project Restart where Ings was banging in the goals. They don't seem to have carried that on and it seems to have been their undoing so far in their two games. Yeah, I think like most people, I've been really surprised by, you know, Southampton's first two games, you know, especially how easily they were you know, taken apart essentially by to- by Tottenham last weekend. Um, they they look really lacking in confidence, which is really surprising because, like you say, they were so good in Project Restart. Um, they, you know, they we played them and they were, you know, they were mm. really good when we played them. Um, obviously, they they had the um, that awful defeat to Leicester, and then after that, in the season, to be getting better and better. So to come back this season with no, com- you know, looking like they've got no confidence is really bizarre. Um, so, no, I, I've got no idea what's going on with Southampton. No, it's hard to put your finger on, although there is a stat that's come out the last couple of days. 37 points lost from winning mm-hmm. positions since Ralph Hasenhurtle took over as manager in 2018. That's more than any other Premier League side in that time. To be honest, 37 points, I mean, that would have been enough to keep you up in the Premier League yeah. last season. That's a massive amount of points to concede from from winning positions in two seasons. Well, they were, they were beating um, 
Tottenham, weren't they, at weekend? And uh, I think it was, I think it was, well, no, I was watching the game and because Tottenham had been really poor against Everton the week previously. And uh, I was thinking perhaps like Mourinho, he might just have a real terrible start to the season. And then when it, I think Ings scored, uh, they were 1-0 up and it was like, oh, actually Southampton look like they're okay. And then Tottenham just absolutely battered them. And it was the way that they kept giving the ball. They, Tottenham broke in the same way, like four or five times in the game. And you're like, why is nobody stopping why is nobody stopping the sun run? And obviously Kane's dropping back and playing sun through. And it's like, there's, where's your midfield, Southampton? I think that that's the real problem. Also, another problem is if anything happens to Ings, he scores about half of the goals for that team. Um, they will be in big trouble if, he, if Ings gets injured. As for Burnley, Burnley and... They're kind of one of those strange teams, aren't they, where they, they sort of always seem to go under the radar. Again, they've not bought anybody in the transfer window, and it's like, will they just be quite happy to... I think they'll be quite happy to finish just outside the bottom three, and I think they, they probably will, because they always seem to do. Uh, and it's uh, that's probably, again, down to really, really good management. Um, just absolute uh, teamwork, work ethic... Uh, and you can, I can, I can see Burnley against Southampton in Southampton's current form. I can see Burnley sort of sneaking a win. Mm, I hope so because I've got Chris Wood as leading the line of my fantasy team, so I could do with some points. I'm rock bottom of <laughs> the table at the moment. Uh, I need uh, yeah. those points desperately. <laughs> I might captain him as well just for the sake of it. Um, it does feel though, Nat, like a tale of two sides that have yet to strengthen really in the transfer window, just to sign in each really for both Burnley and Southampton. Saints have brought in Mohamed Salisu, who's an almost unknown midfielder from the Spanish league. And Burnley have signed Dale Stevens, who was kind of a not a bit part player at Brighton, but certainly not someone to get the, the foundations of turf more shaken, if you know what I mean. So it certainly feels that there there does need to be a bit of activity between now and a week's time when the window does shut. Yeah, and obviously Burnley have this awful injury situation at the minute as well. They have so many of their first team players out injured. Um, there is, like we say, it's mm. the 5th of October until the transfer window closes. So there is, you know, a, a little while. I know that Burnley, well, I, I read that Burnley have been linked with Harry Wilson from Liverpool. Um, so, you know, that, mm. that I think that would be a really great signing for them. Um, the, you know, I think what happens in the transfer window between now and the 5th of October for a lot of clubs is is going to be really important obviously for the rest of the season but with the amount of injuries they've got I do have a, a you know sympathy for, for Burnley or sympathy for a lot of teams you know City as well we've got so many injuries it's just such a you know it's been such a weird time with no no real pre-season you know a short break in between um, so yeah Manchester City have got just 13 fully fit players to choose from anyway we'll talk about that in the next part of the podcast but off the pitch, Alex, there's been rumours of American investment in Burnley this week. Um, some interested parties in possibly buying shares from the club's current owners who are actually Burnley fans. I mean, I don't expect it personally to affect the on-field performance, but there's been a few airs of caution amongst the Burnley fans because the fact that their club is run by two businessmen who support Burnley Football Club, despite the issues that Burnley might have had in the press in recent times, it's certainly a benefit to have a football club run by supporters of the football club who you feel have the best interest of the club at the heart. Yeah, well, speaking as a, a Manchester United fan with American owners as well, it's been little short of disastrous for us in the last six or seven seasons. Um, I, 
I don't think that <laughs> really will affect the players too much. Not negatively, anyway, because if you're if you're a player from Burnley and you hear that there's a possible rumour of a takeover, you probably think, well, maybe we'll get some you know, new players in, some better players in, maybe our match winning bonus will start to go up, you know, we've got a bit more money in the pot. So I, I don't think it would make you play worse. It'd probably have the exact opposite effect, I'd think. Um, and I, I'm not so sure I, I would, a team would think like that anyway. I don't think they really care too much about the owners, enough for it to make them, you know, perform worse on the pitch. Yeah, certainly. I think probably greater things for Burnley to think about at the moment on the field, just trying to get that first win and they'll be hoping to do so against Southampton in the eight o'clock kickoff on Saturday evening. Right from Saturday to Sunday and the early kickoff, the lunchtime kickoff on Sunday afternoon. It's a Yorkshire derby, Sheffield United against Leeds United. I mean, this is a really interesting one for me, no less because it's a Yorkshire derby in which probably two years ago, both sets of supporters couldn't have dreamed could have taken place in the top flight, but such has been their roller coaster rides so far over the last two years. Leeds have been pretty free scoring so far. Two, four, three results, Nat. Um, one in favour against Fulham and one not in their favour where they lost against Liverpool. But the fact that they have been free scoring, will that concern a Blades defence which has been quite unusually fragile? You mentioned about how last season, earlier on in the podcast, they were really tight and one of the tightest defences in the league. Doesn't seem to be the case this time around. Yeah, haven't Leeds been fab so far? I mean, um, that Liverpool game, you know, was incredible. Obviously, Liverpool get a couple of penalties because they always do. But it's certainly, you know, in terms of the first weekend of the season, it got us all exciting, excited. You know, and I mentioned how solid the Sheffield United defence was last year. So I was surprised, um, you know, when I saw them get, get beaten by by Villa um, so I think it's going to be really interesting I mean is there already kind of a feeling around Leeds now that you're expecting there to be loads of goals um, so yeah I think it's you know I, I think this could definitely be you know I'll, I'll go against Alex and do another like wild like match of the day prediction and say I think this could be one of the first games on match of the day <laughs> you know they're both going to finish nil nil now don't you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely, definitely won't because match of the day will be on 12 hours before it kicks off. Match of the day two then, Alex. <laughs> no, it, def- it definitely uh, will. It definitely will. Um, I think you're right as well. This is not the argument I expected United and City fans to be having on today's show about whether match of the day one or match of the day two was uh, going to get the better game. I think that's right. Uh, that uh, pains me to say that. In fact, we've not argued really yet. Now, we need to sort this out because we used to argue all the time. Um, but... Uh, I think um, I know, and I had to go with you on United as well, and you didn't bite. But there's a slight delay on the line, so I don't know when you finished talking. It feels like you're a second behind. Um, but I think <laughs> I, I, I do agree with you about um, the Sheffield United defence. Last year, they, they seemed like impenetrable, and I think Henderson was a big part of that. And the the, the centre back pairing and Henderson as a sort of three just dominated everyone. Um, and I think this, for the Leeds game, I think they've got uh, the, one of the main centre-halves at Egan, who had him a fantasy football last year. He's not playing. And it, there's a good chance that it could be Jag Yelka. Um, so that could uh, not not do Sheffield United any favours. On the other side of that, Leeds, uh, the one thing, they've been great going forward, but they also look really, really fragile at the back. Like, they will concede mm. Anytime there's a free kick or a corner against him, um, and I know that he, the cock, uh, the new player, um, he looks like he looks quite decent, but at the same time, he, he just doesn't seem to be able to mark anyone from a set piece. 
uh, and a team like Sheffield United, you do expect to um, to perform well at, at set pieces. So again, I think this this could be. I, I think Leeds will probably just edge it. Uh, personally, but I think again there'll be a lot of goals in this game. Well, Sheffield United last season were the Premier League's dark horses, weren't they? So if they're going to show that mm. they're not one-season wonders, I mean, this will surely be the game to do it against a newly promoted side who, as you say, have looked pretty weak at the back. I mean, Chris Wilder doesn't take any stick from his players. He doesn't take kindly to poor performances. He's seen two so far. I mean, they're going to need to shake themselves back into shape, aren't they, Sheffield United? And it seems like a perfect chance mm. to do that. It's interesting as well because you'd almost expect last season this is the kind of game against a sort of nice footballing flair side who are weak at the back. Um, you'd expect Sheffield United to go out and physically just try and dominate the game. Now, I know Leeds play a sort of a really high press and they play at a very high tempo, but Sheffield United were also quite a physical side and quite a big side. So it, it could be quite, I think it'll be quite an interesting battle this one. And, it could go anyway, but I think Leeds just a little bit better with the ball. So I think Leeds might probably just edge it. As you say, Leeds have Liam Cooper back from injury, which is a boost for them. He's their captain, uh, but Hernandez won't play. He's injured at the moment. Sheffield United, no John Egan. He's been suspended due to a red card last week. And Lee's Mousse will miss out up front as he's had an operation on some damaged ligaments in his ankle. Right then, that's it for the second part of today's preview show ahead of the weekend's Premier League action here on Football Social Daily. But Spurs versus Newcastle, Man City versus Leicester and West Ham versus Wolves still to come after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button or follow or whatever it may be, however you listen to your podcasts, to keep right up to date with podcasts every single day of the Premier League season. We are the only Premier League podcast that does that. You won't be able to find that anywhere else. So there'll be news, views and opinions from supporters, journalists, fans, YouTubers, bloggers, anyone who's anyone that you can think of uh, will be involved in the podcast throughout the course of the season. So if you don't want to miss a single day's worth of Premier League action, hit that subscribe button. Right, time to talk about Tottenham versus Newcastle, which is the 2pm kickoff on Sunday. It's a part of a tough schedule for Spurs Net. They've got Europa League qualifiers both this Thursday just gone and Thursday coming up. They travelled to Macedonian, the Macedonian capital Skopje on Thursday where Jose Mourinho was complaining about goals that were too small. And uh, they ended up winning the game in the end, which is probably good for the journalists that were there that don't have to deal with him moaning the whole time. Um, but will they have enough to beat Newcastle? They were impressive last week, scored five goals. They won again on Thursday. But do you think the travelling might catch up with them? It is a tough schedule for them. Yeah, the the, tra- the Europa League traveling, you know, you know, very famously and historically affects most teams that end up playing in the Europa League. You know, especially now when you're doing it with with you know, as as we keep saying, um, squads that have have injuries, and of course, you know, they, they signed Gareth. Bale and, and then found out in his medical that, that he wasn't quite fit and so he's not playing yet. Um, they also have the you know the EFL games, although their one against Orient obviously was um, was called off and then and then awarded to them. But am I right in saying that they've got an EFL game, a Premier League game, an EFL game, and a Europa League game and a Premier League game all within about nine days or something? I think they've got another four games until the four or five games until the fourth of October, which is tr- a pretty crazy schedule. 
I mean, that, that's insane for any team, even when you've got a fully fit squad. That is, you know, that is a lot of games. Having said that, have I got any sympathy for them? No, <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. It's what happens when you end up in the Europa League. And also, everyone knows, I really don't like Jose Mourinho, so unlucky. Uh, Jose, he deserves props this week because he was quite nice to that Macedonian <laughs> journalist and gave him a signed photo, which was quite a nice little story. Um, oh, wow. Uh, so nice. <laughs> <laughs> come on, have a, come on, back, back your old manager up, Alex. This is the perfect opportunity to have an argument here. <laughs> That's laid into Mourinho. Um, well, I, I, I find it really difficult. I've got a sort of love-hate relationship with Mourinho because I thought in his first season... <laughs> At Old Trafford, he did about as well as he could. And I, I like the fact he put some fight back into a gutless United side. Uh, and then the next season, when he didn't get his way, he just basically refused to do a pre-season and didn't turn up and, and got sacked halfway through, uh, replaced by Solskjaer. So um, I could see why. I, the thing with Mourinho still, I think he's just box office because he's just like a pantomime villain, isn't he? I think he plays the, the part so well. But from what I understand, the little bits, like if there's ever a charity game or there's ever, like, for instance, with that um, the journalist who wanted an autograph for his dad or something, didn't he? He was poorly. Um, he's, he always seems underneath quite a quite a decent fella and he seems to have quite a good sense of humour as well. So I, I, I like him, really. I'm going to have to get Nat to let the tyres down on your car or something to get you two to argue. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about City in a minute. I'll stick one in there. <laughs> um, certainly, although that they are in the middle of a big schedule, Alex, I mean, are these extra games actually blessings in disguise? Because as I mentioned earlier on in the show, you got managers like Hasenhurtl complaining that the pre-season's been too short because of the truncated uh, pre-season period. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, having extra games where teams in the midweek game in the Carabao Cup have actually been playing their full strength squad just to get some fitness. Could that be a little bit yeah. of a benefit to Spurs actually in a strange way? It could be because of the just weirdness of the of this season. But if you look, there's a there's a precedent with Wolves last year who by Christmas looked absolutely beat because they, they'd played so many games uh, in the Europa, so much travelling, and they just looked utterly exhausted and then when they had the break they sort of came back and they were a bit more like the old wolves again uh, so I don't know time will time will tell with that they, they did look very very good in the last game Tottenham but again some of that might be just the way that uh, Southampton put up so little resistance when they were running through um, I always Sun is a player I find it really difficult to dislike Tottenham purely because of Sun I, I just there's something about him that I just think he he's just got a great attitude. He's a fantastic footballer with both feet. He just looks like the ideal teammate. Um, but I don't I don't know if Mourinho. I'm still not sure if Mourinho's the right man for for Tottenham because they were always such a flair side when I was growing up, um, and they were a little bit flaky. But they always had like the wonderful players like Ardiles and then Hoddle and then um I mean even 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 Kane and they just always had a certain flair and I think some of the signings that Mourinho's made this season are just like but he bought two more versions of Eric Dyer and you just think oh come on just I, I think the Bale's Bale will be interesting uh, to see if he plays at all um if he if he can last more than two or three games without getting injured um but He's he's a great a great signing for the league. I don't know if he will work out as a brilliant signing for Tottenham because I just 
don't know if they'll get enough out of him. I hope they do, because I think he's a great player. Mm, yeah, we'll have to wait and see with Gareth Bale. As Nat mentioned before, it's going to be a bit of time before he gets back up to match sharpness. As for Newcastle, they've actually strengthened reasonably smartly in the summer, considering that Mike Ashley is a man who's known to pinch the pennies <laughs> and there's been a takeover that's fallen through in recent times. I mean, a lot of people were suggesting that that maybe top 10 could be the aim this year for Newcastle United. From what you've seen so far, Nat, would you agree with that? Ooh, top 10. I'm not sure because obviously they had the 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 win at, on you know the opening weekend and then they had they looked awful against Brighton last week you know so it's like they've had a, a good performance and a bad performance which also is similar to Tottenham as well so who knows what's going to happen this weekend I think realistically top ten for Newcastle would be brilliant um, you know they had you know maybe t- talking before about Burnley being distracted talk about a team that's been distracted you know with the talk of a takeover um but now that that is kind of settled that that is not happening and they can focus and they've made some decent signings and it looks like everybody's getting behind Steve Bruce um you know which is a first for for Newcastle fans you know for a while you know they've not really been getting behind you know, behind the scenes at the club, you know, we all know the situation with Mike Ashley. Um, but hope, you know, maybe if they focus and yeah, top 10 possibly. But, you know, this is going to be a really interesting game because that performance against Brighton was really poor. Um, and we know that Tottenham, as we've said, um, have also made some great buys. Um, they've had a great result so far this season as well. So this could be a really telling game for Newcastle. Mm, yeah, certainly. I still think Tottenham will just have a little bit too much. The way that they've been free-flowing and scoring the goals isn't usually the hallmark of a Jose side, but long may it continue if you're a Tottenham supporter. They take on Newcastle United at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at two o'clock on Sunday. Right, time to talk about Manchester City, Nat. Your team, they take on top of the league Leicester at half past four on Sunday. I mean, Leicester are top of the league, but are they going to stay top by the time they finish playing Manchester City? You've only got 13 fit players to choose from, from the first team, that is. Really youthful side in the Carabao Cup against Bournemouth midweek. And let's be honest, it's going to be tough with that few players to choose from. Do you know what? First of all, I hate when we talk about league tables after one in two games. They've played two games. We've played one game. Like, league tables right now are pointless. However, my my dad always not gonna lie it's just not good enough for man city (laughs) (laughs) my dad always says when you're top of the league no matter when it is it counts so i'm sure leicester fans are saying that just now as well yeah we're in a really strange position at the minute um i think going into the wolves game as fans nobody really kind of knew what to expect perhaps we haven't strengthened or made as many signings as we thought we were going to we were obviously well documented how inconsistent we were last season and then we put up a really great performance against wolves um we had the game in the carabao cup where we played quite a lot of youngsters and and so many of them came through you know looking great with with real plaudits i mean Liam Delap looked brilliant. His goal was, you know, a great goal, great assist from Phil Foden again. We had Taylor Harwood Bellis, Tommy Doyle, all looking really solid. You know, these are really young players. You know, many of them played in the, the youth team that won the, the youth Premier League that finished, thankfully, just before lockdown. Um, I honestly, at the minute, I just feel like I've got no idea. Because we were so inconsistent last season, it's still that is obviously in the back of my mind. Um Leicester obviously a really good, really solid, really well organized team. I just, I feel like I'm not really giving you very much insight here because I feel like I don't know myself. Yeah, certainly. I think it is a bit of a weird season for me. I mean, some supporters and City fans have suggested this could be like a transitional season, but I mean, if anything, they will want to get back to winning ways. Kevin De Bruyne says all four trophies are the aim for Manchester City. 
Alex, what do you think of that? And then I'll come to you, Nat, to see whether you're back in Ginger Kev. <laughs> well, they are the aim, aren't they? But you know, they're the aim for any team that's in four trophies. But they're not they're not going to win them, are they? Because this is not the best City side that uh, of the last five years. Um, I, I do agree with some City fans that they might be a little bit um, in transition. I thought De Bruyne and Sterling seemed to play really well uh, in the last game against Wolves. Um, against Leicester, though, Leicester are, are one of those sides that I think are perennially underrated and they've started this season really, really well. Jamie Vardy is scoring and running for fun like he always used to do. Um, I, I think Barnes is a really, really good player. Uh, I just, I, I just wonder if Leicester can somehow grind something out and just just nip a goal against uh, City. And I, I can't really see it, but I hope they do. That's what that's maybe what I think. I think I think City will probably probably win this one because they have look they do look quite impressive in that first game. To say that they were again a full game behind Wolves, and when you compare where City were to where United were, City did look fit and much sharp and United just looked just looked rubbish so um I, I, I hope Leicester do something but I just I can't see it realistically more in hope than expectation by the sounds of it Alex what about what the PFA player of the year Kevin De Bruyne said then that four trophies the aim for Matt I think Alex is right Manchester City have got to a level now in the last five to six years where they are entitled to say things like we're challenging for all four trophies because they are good enough to do it however to be able to do it is an extremely difficult task but we've seen City pick up more than one trophy per season for the last few years it's not unusual for them to win more than one trophy in a campaign but to win all four I mean, that's going to take some doing. And is there any, is there still any sort of slight favouritism towards the Champions League like there was last season? Or was that just purely because Liverpool was so far ahead that you kind of felt that you wanted to focus on the Champions League? Yeah, I, I think that was certainly a part of it. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is right. We all, you know, we aim to win all four trophies and we give all four trophies a really good go every year. Obviously, last year we won the Carabao Cup, um, you know, semi-final in the FA Cup, second in the league, and then we know what happened in the Champions League. Um, so we're always aiming for four trophies. Um, and I agree with Alex in terms of this is not the best City team of the last five years, but we've had the best City team of the last five years not managed to do it. So, hey, why not this team? Why not in this strange, strange season that we have you know it could it could happen um, that is corrupt what are you alex right there is a delay here so i don't know what is corrupt than what i said but nothing is <laughs> no I, I didn't say corrupt i said corona logic, I, I was trying so hard to avoid any libel during this podcast i was trying so hard uh, i mentioned I when you mentioned zaha we didn't, didn't talk about david moyes and no. now we're going down the corrupt line we've got so I far didn't say corrupt. <laughs> i said something like corona logic or something like that i definitely didn't say corrupt. okay okay alex okay 
But are you guys, yeah, so I'm hearing on Twitter a rumour going around that Gabrielle Jesus is injured, um, which will obviously be awful for us because Sergio Aguero is also mm. injured. Um, obviously, we have a, you know, great attacking players. We're always, you know, we've been the league's top scorers for the last, you know, few years. Um, but that is really worrying because that is not an area we've strengthened. Obviously, we played Liam Delap, the 17-year-old, um, in the Carabao Cup midweek and he scored and he's got, you know, he, he looks, you know, he's, he's, he's like six foot something. He's built. He looks really tough, but, you know, he is 17. So I think that is a worry for us. I, my concern is earlier. I think between now and the end of the transfer window is really important for us. Yeah, definitely. You think that Manchester City could do with bringing in at least one more centre-back. They've brought in Ake already from Bournemouth, but that was almost as a cover centre-back and still rumours around Koulibaly and the like. But we'll have to wait and see what happens between now and the end of the window. Man City take on Leicester, 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. On to our final game of the weekend. It's the Battle of the W's, West Ham against Wolves. A seven o'clock kickoff Sunday evening. West Ham, Alex, in absolute disarray, but it wouldn't be West Ham if they weren't. There's always something dodgy going on over there at the London Stadium. They are the only Premier League side not to sign anyone so far. As we said, the window shuts in just over a week. David Gold and Sullivan have even come out on social media and said they're depressed when every day goes by and they've not signed a player. I think they must have forgotten that they actually own the club <laughs> and it's down to them. I don't know if they're waiting for some divine intervention, <laughs> someone to like ship them players that they don't want or something. Um, but I think using the word disarray is the best way to describe it because it is all over the place at West Ham at the moment. Yeah, it doesn't feel very optimistic. I think they've they've sort of hung on by the skin of the teeth, it's felt like for the last couple of seasons anyway, hung on in the Premier League. Uh, and this, I mean, already it's ridiculous to say after two games, but you think not even where is the first win coming from? Where's the first goal coming from? Because um, towards, towards the end of last <laughs> season, I seem to remember we we did uh, we did a little feature where we were like, where have all the, the goal scorers, where have all the goals come from for West Ham in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years? And it, they barely had a decent sense forward, it seemed. And it's, Possibly it's the transfer policy coming finally back to haunt them. The fact that they don't sign anyone decent enough. The fact that they'll put uh, a makeshift uh, right winger like Antonio and they'll put him at centre forward and then he might score. And it just feels like, and also David Moyes is not, is he the right man to guide, you know, to inspire the troops? I think he's a very organised manager. And, but I just don't, I, I really fear for West Ham. On the other side of that, Wolves, um, I've I, I really liked Wolves since the last season since they've been back in the Premiership. I think they've really added. Um, I, I think they play some really decent football. I, I didn't think they were at the best against City. I thought Wolves, again, looked a little just off the pace. Maybe they were lacking fitness or, or something. They just didn't really get a sniff. Uh, but I think against West Ham, I think they'll they'll go out. They'll be a, a match further into the season. I, I can see Wolves winning. I can, I can see West Ham barely getting out of their own half, to be honest with you. David Moyes will be making Premier League history this weekend. Does anyone know why? Can anyone guess? Uh, yeah, he's tested positive, hasn't he? Oh, yes. He's going to be the first manager to do his team talk via Zoom in the dressing room. <laughs> you just wow. put him on mute. In Premier yeah. League history. What a world. <laughs> <laughs> just sit there and nod for 15 minutes whilst he's yeah, on mute yeah, and just yeah, pretend yeah. that you know what he's saying. But you know what he's going to say? You know what he's going to say? He's just going to say, keep it tight, pass it around. You know, don't give up any space and, you know, don't attack with any flair. Don't anybody <laughs> ever run down the wing. No, it just, 
Isn't it weird though? Listen to him, right? Listen to him now saying that about Moyes, but yet he defends Mourinho. Like Moyes did such a better job at United than Mourinho, and he's here like defending Mourinho and slagging Moyes. Did not. So basically, imagine if David Moyes took over the Liverpool team that had just won the league at an absolute canter, uh, and managed to finish about sixth or seventh with him, and destroyed like one of the best centre back pairings of all time. But it it just Moyes was an Utter disaster. Not a better job. Old Trafford. <laughs> Mourinho was bad, uh, but 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 Moyes was absolutely worst. He took a team of champions and did one of the worst ever title defenses seen in the last fifty years. It, it was he was shocking. Uh, I've no. Oh, you lot just talk about patience. Not just jump <laughs> on him. <laughs> yeah, I've no, uh, I've no, I've no time for Moyes. I've been Mourinho's all right. Mourinho's a character. Moyes isn't even a character, is he? He's got no, no personality whatsoever to speak of. And a bit like West Ham, actually, I think he transmits that to that team. And the one player I feel sorry for at West Ham is Mark Noble because you know I don't particularly like him. I think whenever your side plays against Mark Noble he's a pain he's constantly do he does all the little niggly mm. things to win free kicks yeah. and to just frustrate you but he's such a great pro and the fact that he came out at the beginning of the season and spoke out against the West Ham transfer policy and the fact that they weren't strengthening and they were getting rid of players from the youth team that they should have kept I think that tells you that everything is not all right at West Ham uh, so I do, and I do fear for them with that huge stadium. Yeah, have you, have you seen their run of fixtures that they've got coming up as well? So they've got, so they, so they've obviously they're playing Wolves, and then they've got the next games are Leicester, Tottenham, City, and Liverpool. Like, where are they picking up points in that? They could be six games in with what a point? Wow. You know, three maximum. Like, where are they picking up points? <laughs> they're not. They're not picking up any points. <laughs> It's just not happening. I mean, you talk about David Moyes having no personality as well. I mean, at least if he's doing it via Zoom, he can yeah, add one of those yeah. funny backgrounds and that it gives the players like... something to talk about during halftime um, when they're inevitably 3-0 down to Wolves. Yeah, no, it will, it will be. I mean, that's that'll be a, a very di- a difficult situation, won't it, doing it? It would be quite a funny, uh, it'd be like a funny comedy sketch or something. The manager's doing it via Zoom. You know, Moyes could be just sat on a beach somewhere just chilling out, it, you know. I suppose he'd be staying in one self-isolated. <laughs> I hope not. He's supposed to be self-isolating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't see West Ham getting anything out of the game. But Wolves, meanwhile, on the on the other hand, that have invested in players. I mean, surely we, we've mentioned we think they're going to be too strong for West Ham. Um, is this kind of does this feel like another sea change at Wolves when they first came up to the Premier League? They strengthened well and, and they impressed. And then last season they impressed with the way they dealt with their European and domestic campaign. Does this feel like another kind of um, brick in the wall for Wolverhampton Wanderers in their quest to kind of establish themselves as a Europa League side? Yeah, I think Wolves have, well, first of all, they've really cemented themselves as, as a decent Premier League side, you know, over the last few years. When you, you, you know, you see a fixture coming up against Wolves, it's not one that you, you, you know, you look forward to. And, you know, even though I thought that, that we were, you know, comfortable winners on Monday night, they still put up a great performance as they always do with us. Um, yeah, and, you know, and they signed, did they make it, did they, did they sign somebody from Barcelona, did I read? Nelson's Tomato, like, yeah. They're making signings from Barcelona. Yeah, so they're like, yeah, they're, they're fully cementing themselves as a really good Premier League team. And yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see, see you know, see them progress and see what, see what they can do in Europe. 
Yeah, certainly. We'll have to wait and see what happens on the European front for Wolves. But from a Premier League perspective, we're expecting them to beat West Ham United at the weekend. West Ham versus Wolves, 7 o'clock on Sunday. And that completes the roundup of our Premier League preview for this weekend's fixtures. And so just to conclude, and uh, mainly to annoy Nat, I'm going to go through the Premier League table after just two games. Top of the table, Leicester City, Everton, Arsenal and Liverpool complete the top four. In fifth, it's Crystal Palace. Tottenham, Man City, Brighton, Aston Villa and Leeds complete the top 10. Chelsea in 11th. Then it's Wolves, Newcastle, Burnley, Manchester United in 15th, West Ham in 16th and just above the relegation zone, Sheffield United currently in the bottom three. 18th is Fulham, 19th Southampton and 20th West Bromwich Albion. Of course, that's all likely to change over the course of the weekend. And don't forget to hit subscribe on the podcast because tomorrow we'll have a full look back at all of those games across the weekend, a full Premier League review show for you. So make sure you do tune into that where you can. And don't forget to follow us on social media as well to keep up to date with all the latest Premier League news and gossip. Right, that's it for today's podcast. Thank you, Nat. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate your time. Don't forget to uh, argue on your way out. That's always the uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> the way to I'm going to text her. I'm going to text her now. <laughs> it's taken 45 minutes and finally we've managed to get some sort of argument going on, but that's all right. We don't mind. <laughs> uh, uh, my name's Nile. Thanks for tuning in and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.